my cup. Am I good? All right. Thank you, Dope, for that prayer. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, my name is Frank. For those who don't know, I am the uh, youth pastor um, in our church. Um, I don't get to really, I don't uh, speak often for the EM congregation. This is my third time. Uh, even after my third time, I'm still nervous. So uh, <laughs> uh, please bear with me this morning, all right? Um, but if you guys can turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. The passage today comes from Psalm 51. Once again, Psalm 51, it'll be verses 1 through 17. All right, this is the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Let me just pray for, um, for the message this morning. Father, I pray that I will speak with clarity of your word which gives life, of your word which gives truth. And I pray, O oh Lord, that this morning will you impress upon our hearts Lord, the type of people you want from us. Lord, may I pray, Lord, may I speak boldly your message this morning. In your son's name, amen. Okay, it seems like every time I preached uh, in the EM, this congregation seems to like change right before my eyes. Like there's always like new people and uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, and so, you know, I am honored uh, to preach before the EM. And um, as, you, as we read, um, our, our, our passage this morning comes from Psalm 51. Um, and 
and the reason I chose this passage is, you know, because our congregation is starting to change, and, you know, I have, you know, I'm always over in the youth group, and so um, I don't get to really interact uh, with the new people, right? And so I kind of want to show, okay, what am I all about, right? Uh, part of that, so that's part of the reason why I chose Psalm 51 uh, for this message. But also, this is actually one of my all-time favorite messages, I all-time favorite passages, right? Um, a lot of people... Right, have certain verses or certain passages that really resonate with them, right? Or it goes like thermonuclear on their soul, right? And personally, this is one of those passages for me. And a part of that reasoning is um, I oftentimes use this passage as a barometer to test the condition of my heart, right? And I'll explain that in a little bit. But first, um, let's just dig into the passage. One of the first things you notice in this passage, in this psalm, is that it is written... By King David. It says in the very beginning, before verse 1, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. And what is apparent and immediately clear is David's disposition in this psalm. It is one of utter agony and despair. You look at like verse 1 through 5, and it just comes out. I mean, look what it says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And he goes on, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And look, in, in verse 2, like there's an exclamation mark, right? I mean, you can see just the intensity in which he is speaking. And he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone have I sinned, right? You keep going. Right? In verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. You can feel this. It's palpable. It's just like right in your face. And what is he agonizing over? He's agonizing over his sin. And it is just a gut-wrenching psalm. Right? He is just begging for mercy from God. And to give you some context of where this flows out from, right? it actually flows out from David's scandal, right, of adultery. It says, you know, in the, to the choir master, Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And in um, 2 Samuel, actually, there's an account of this, of what happened. And in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, right, uh, it tells us what David went through after he became king. So to just give you an idea, um, the story goes like this. He saw a girl named Bathsheba taking a bath and... You know, this, she was taking a bath so that she can uh, uh, purify herself from her uncleanliness. And he sees this girl, she's hot, and he ends up sleeping with her. Yeah, I guess when you're king, you know, you have power. I guess you get to do whatever you want. But it, the story gets better because not only does he sleep with Bathsheba, you end up finding out that she's actually already married to one of David's soldiers. His name is Uriah, right? And then he, act, he actually finds out that he knocked her up. Okay, so this is King David, all right, the king of Israel doing this. And, you know, the great and upstanding guy that he is, you know what he ends up trying to do? He tries to actually cover it up, right? And so what he does is he calls Uriah back from the battlefield, from the front lines of war, and calls him over to his palace, and then he butters up Uriah, right? Tells him what a great soldier you've been, and then he rewards him, right? And he tells Uriah, you know what? You deserve some vacation time. Right. So why don't you go home, spend the night with your wife, right? rest. 
Right? And so he does this in order that, okay, hopefully Uriah will, will sleep with his wife, Bathsheba, and then, you know, afterwards, right, he'll think, Uriah will think that, oh, he got his wife pregnant. And then solves all David's problems, right? But Uriah, the, the irony is Uriah is a very upstanding, noble guy, I mean, just full of honor. And, you know, he's very grateful for this vacation package that he receives from King David. But because he's so upstanding, you know what he says? He says, you know, that's great and all, and I really appreciate it, but I can't take this offer. My men are on the battlefields fighting for their lives, and I can't in good conscience take take this vacation I'd be here with my wife in peace where my men are fighting. So, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. So he refuses David's offer. And as you read this, you're hoping that, you know, because David's already, like, just digging a grave for himself. And you're hoping, okay, you need to stop David, right? Please stop King David. You'd hope that he wouldn't sink any lower, but he does. Actually, he ends up ordering his general... Joab, and he actually tells him, right, he tells him, you know what, I need you to put Uriah, okay, in the most treacherous front lines. Okay? Knowing that, and he knew that if he did that, there was a great probability that Uriah would be killed in action. So he tells Joab to do this. And so Joab puts Uriah on the front lines, and like David had planned, Uriah dies in battle. David cleans up his mess, right? And then he takes Bathsheba for his wife. Now, the telling thing in this story is that in chapter, because the whole story is in chapter 11, there is no remorse from David. No remorse at all. It's just silent. There's just silence in it. And the twist is, it's in chapter 12, where the prophet Nathan, okay, this is a man of God, comes to David one day. He starts to tell a parable of a rich guy, right, who fleeces a poor man of his lamb. And when David hears this, like, he has this, like, righteous fury and anger. And he says, that rich man, right, deserves to be punished. And at that very moment, Nathan gets up and he tells him, David, you are that man. It is at that moment where David shows remorse. He starts to feel the pain of his actions. And, you know, if I were to, if this was like a movie, you know, what I would imagine is David's face just turning pale white when he realizes the horror of his sins. You see, it's out of that predicament that we get Psalm 51. Now, some of you may be thinking that, okay, you know, that is a very horrible sin. And he did some pretty horrible things. I mean, he ended up committing adultery and then murdering, right? And so, you know, we can all see, you know, why he would be in such remorse once he realizes it, right? And why he would have such agony and despair over his sin. But how often... 
is our disposition to our own sins like David. And what I mean by that is, when we take stock of our own sins, are we more prone to be like the callous David? Or are we more like the broken King David? And this is why I say, said in the beginning that I often use this, you know, as, as, uh, use this psalm as a barometer for my own heart. Um, because I think the danger for many people in the church, and especially those who have been in the church for a long time, is to become callous like David. I mean, remember, I mean, this is King David here, okay? This was God's chosen man. He was the anointed. I mean, in Scripture, there are places in the Bible where it says that there's no one else who's described this way. David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he was Israel's de facto leader. That meant he knew all the laws, the law of Moses, right? He knew the Levitical laws that he was breaking when he was doing all of this. I mean, he knew, right, that he was committing adultery. He knew that he was committing murder. And he knew, and I'm pretty sure he knew, that both of those sins, right, were punishable by death. Like, he had it all up here. All right? he is the, he's the king. And yet, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between what he knew and how he reacted. Like, don't we do the same? Right? I, I know some of us, um, you know, some of us may have already put our brains on cruise control the minute I said, talk, the minute I talked about sin. Because right? like, oh, I already know what I, I already know what's going on, right? It's old hat, right? I've heard this many, many times be- before, right? I know this message, right? I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus, and so let's wrap up the sermon, okay? Five minutes, right? Then we'll finish at eleven o five, have fellowship, and we'll be out, and we'll be good, right? Have an early lunch, okay? But isn't that the danger? Isn't that the danger that we're that we're in? Like, you know, when, you know, you talk to Christians when they, when they first come to know God, right? And, and, and when they first come to realize, wait, there is forgiveness for all of my sins, right? For everything that I've done through Jesus Christ, you know, that, that the salvation is offered. And what happens? You talk to a Christian and you, you ask the person about their uh, testimony. They're like, they know, like, the exact date and the time and where they were when they got saved. And, and they're excited, right? Bubbly and be like, yeah, man, like, I love Jesus, right? Jesus is my homeboy. He is everything to me. But after a while, whether it's through poor preaching or poor teaching or whether it, it stems from even ourselves, sometimes does not the gospel message kind of become stale? That sometimes it, it starts to get we start to get calcified to it. Right? Like the gospel message, you hear it, it's like a gong that just on repeat. Dun, 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 And because it's all it is, it seems like noise. And then eventually, you know, when, when you, you know, a lot of people, they're able to what? Just tune it out. Right? It just becomes noise, empty noise. Right? 
And so when we, when we confront right, our own sins or just talk about sin in general, then it just becomes another piece of doctrine. Sin, oh yeah, I know sin. You know, we're all sinners. Romans talks about, Paul talks about it. Everyone is a sinner. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. We're all sinners. Right? I, I know this. Right? It becomes a piece of doctrine. But that's it. It's as far as we go. Right? We know in our heads that it's bad. We know that God hates it. But in our hearts, we may think otherwise. In our actions, we may think otherwise. Right? We may even justify it and say, "Oh, you know that, that sin I committed. You know, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you committed many times, and eventually you get numb, and you're like, eh, it's just not that bad, right? It's just not that bad. You know, the way I hold grudges or get bitter at people, you know, it's not too bad, right? At least, at least I don't, at least I don't blow up in other people's faces. I can manage it." I can manage my sin. I don't, you know, it's not like the other guy, you know. He, when he gets angry, man, he just blows up all the time, man. See, at least I'm not that. Or sometimes we go off, you know, when we sin, and we don't really understand just, you know, how much in the front it is. And so we just kind of pray it away. Like, we do the sinner's prayer. Jesus, I, you know, I sin. Please forgive me. Seal the deal. We're good, right? Okay. And we do that. Or sometimes, maybe it won't be prayer, it'll be like, I, 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 I sinned, I, I messed up, you know, I treated someone badly. You know, so what I'm going to do is, this week, I'm just going to tithe, you know, I usually tithe 10%. This week, I'm going to tithe 10, 15%, 20%. Get my money into the basket, and I'm like, I'm good. I'm good, right? Now I, now I got, don't need to think about my sin. Right? And so... We make the right sacrifices to make us good again. Right? And oftentimes, we, we do this because it's not grace that we believe in. You know, we, we, in the church, you know, the thing that needs to drive the church is grace, right? But oftentimes, it's not grace that we believe in. But actually, the action that we believe in is God helps those who help themselves. Right? That's in the Bible, right? You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, but that's how a lot of, lot of people think, right? God helps those who help themselves. It's, it must be in the Bible somewhere, you know, maybe Isaiah, I don't know, right? And so what happens is the gospel becomes hollow. Sin becomes hollow. It's just another thing, right? It's just another piece of doctrine in my mind. And yet, you know, when we look at Psalm 51, you know, David realizes, you know, in 16, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. What does he realize? He realizes that it's not the proper sacrifices that matter the most. It's not at the heart of it. Right? Actually, that's not what God desires at all. It's not the empty prayers that he wants. It's not the empty sacrifices that he wants. What he desires most and this is the crazy part. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What does God desire of people? Brokenness. Brokenness. 
I don't know about you, but when I used to read this psalm, oftentimes I found myself reading the psalm as just a piece of doctrine. Right? The way I would read it would be like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Yep, yep, I know that. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins have reformed me. Against you, you only have a sin. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Joseph says this in, in Genesis 2. Um, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Okay, yeah, good, good stuff, good stuff. That's all it would be. Right? You read it in a, in a, in a manner where it's just a piece of knowledge for ourselves to have. Right. You know, it was something that I could nod my head to that, hmm, you know, you see people in, you know, church services and, you know, when a pastor says something good, especially in Korean, in the camps, like, hmm, amen, right? And that's what it was, that's what it would be for me, hmm, Amen. But I will honestly say that could I ever utter this psalm like David utters it? Could I ever be like, oh, Lord God, have mercy on my soul? Because that is what this psalm should get you to. I will, tell, I will be very honest. For a very long time, I could not say that this way. Because I knew what my sin was, I knew what sin was, but not really. I knew what the gospel was, but not really. See, like, as a kid, I, I, I knew what the gospel was. I knew that Jesus paid for my sins, that he conquered death, that I get eternal life for what I did, or for what he did, not what I did. I knew, I knew, I knew that, that this was the essential piece of doctrine for all of faith and church. Right? It was the most important thing. The cross was the most important thing. And so one Sunday, it was Easter service, um, and I was like in fifth grade. And what they did, you know, uh, way back when was they would usher all the children up on the, up on the uh, pulpit, right? Um, and then the, in front of, you know, when we had joint service, and they would have the youth pastor give like a five to ten minute sermon, and then they would usher the children out, right? And then they'd have their own thing. And then, you know, the regu- everyone else would, you know, go on with worship. And I remember... Um, the youth pastor started asking all, like, various different children what their favorite Bible story was. And so he has one kid, and they're like, Moses, I like Moses, and, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea. You know, some of the other kids, they're like, oh, I like um, uh, Balaam's ass, you know, that talking donkey and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, or, or some of them would be like, oh, yeah, I like Jonah and how, how there's a whale, and, you know, Jonah gets eaten by the whale, and yeah, right? And then the youth pastor brings the mic up to me. And like I said, I, I knew that the most important story of all was the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, the cross. And so it's to get some brownie points, right? Puts up the mic in front of my face. And what do I say? My favorite story is the story of Jesus' resurrection. And I remember all of a sudden in the congregation, you hear murmurs like, Lord. Oh, wow. Oh, did you hear what he said? Ah. Right? Because they were all impressed by this fifth grade boy who seemingly understood the gospel. But again, I tell you, all it was was a piece of knowledge. Just something to know. 
an answer that I can give. It was when I was in youth group when I first understood my sin, right? And I started to understand my need for Jesus to atone for me, you know, and I, and I knew this because, you know, that's when my ho- hormones started to rage. And in school, I was introduced to online smut. And, you know, I struggled with that. And that's when I kind of knew, like, oh, my goodness, I need Jesus. But at the same time, I will say, and I'll be honest with you, I said that, and I I do personally feel like at the time I did need Jesus. But it still fully did not resonate. Still fully did not resonate. Because I remember I would justify, justify myself as a young, you know, young teenager and say, because I would struggle with this often enough that I would say, you know what, at least, at the very least, I still have my purity. You know, at least I still have my purity. You know, those other guys, man, sleeping around, I, you know, at least I'm not doing that, Jesus. At least I'm not doing that. Right? Now I would do that, or I would go to the other side where I say, well, you know what, I know Jesus forgives me of my sin, but i got to clean up my act. i got to clean my, get my act together, get my crap together. And so I would just try to will it away. Will it away. I'm not going to look at it, right, the last three months, maybe six months or day, right? So that I can prove to God, hey, I'm a good person, God. I'm a good person. And so it goes to show that, did I really understand the gospel? No, not really, because the, the, the moment I said I can clean my stuff together, get my stuff, act together, I was effectively exclaiming that I don't need you, Jesus. Right? See? I understood what grace was, but actually the truth that I was feeding myself was God only helps those who help themselves. And you know what? This was even true all the way up to my Years spent in Thailand. Now, uh, for some, uh, many of you already know, but for those who don't, um, three years ago I spent a year in Thailand on a mission trip um, to serve overseas, and um, it was it was a wonderful it was a wonderful experience. Um, God has put on my heart a heart for missions since I was a kid, and He gave me that opportunity to spend time in Thailand and uh, really think about doing this. Um, for my life. So I got to go to Thailand, but, but even in Thailand, even in Thailand, there was a part of my heart, right, where I felt like I had to clean my act, clean my act, make myself, make, make myself feel like I'm a good person. And I think going there, right, made me feel that way. It definitely did. Um, I mean, I just remember, you know, people would tell me, you know, I would Skype with people, you know, back at home, and they'd be like, oh, Frank, like, you're doing an awesome job out there. You know, I, you know, I wish I had the same courage as you did to, to give up your one year of your life in Thailand. And I hear all this stuff. Um, but to be honest with you, right, it was, it was starting then when I, when I started to realize Just how sinful I really was, you know. And, and and the worst part about it was was when I was getting ready for Thailand. You know, that's when I that's when Pastor Susan came into this church and he started preaching this gospel-centered content, right? And he started to nourish, 
you know, that starts to nourish me intellectually. And I start to understand more deeply our need for Christ. But even then, there was a disconnect in my heart. There was a disconnect from my mind and my heart. Because even in time, I still struggled with lust. But like I said, a part of my heart was saying, you know what, I'm still going to defeat this. I will defeat this on my own. And I still had an ounce of pride telling me, at least you got your purity, man. It ain't that bad. Well, six months into my mission trip, so much for that. So much for that. And the worst part of it all, it was like I, I did it on a mission trip. I, I lost my purity. I ended up sleeping with a girl that I met in Thailand. Doing the thing I said I would never do. But that's when I started to realize and there is no gradation of sin. Sin is sin. I hurt the girl, the girl in Thailand. I broke the trust of my church. I broke the trust of my mission. I, I'll be honest with you, I still have not told him. I, I couldn't. It was then when I, when I started to realize this doctrine of, of depravity, of sin... Before it would just be this notion that I knew. Oh, I, I really knew what that meant now. I really knew what that meant. Because it was at that moment when I, when I felt like my last piece of decency. You know, I say that as my last piece of decency because you know, I'd done other stupid things when I was a kid. I used to shoplift and what have you. Right? But this was the one thing I held on to. And it was gone. It was gone. It was in that when I opened up Psalm 51. And like I said before, I just read it as, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, brought out my transgressions, washed me through thoroughly from my iniquity. Nah, it didn't read like that anymore. Every word of, of that passage was like a gut punch. It was like a gut punch. Every word of that passage started to convict me like I've never been convicted in my life before. And it was in there when I started to realize just how much I needed God. My goodness, my righteousness failed me, utterly failed me. And I was naked and exposed. I just remember, when I think back upon it, I just remember feeling so wretched before God that at that, even that moment, I just felt like He was just too holy to even approach. I was at His mercy. Like no other time before. I really had nothing else to offer him. I had nothing to offer God. Other than my brokenness. 
other than my brokenness. That's it. And you see, that's exactly where God wants us. That is exactly where God wants us. It's crazy to think that way. It is not our goodness that He desires. It is not the acts of sacrifices that He desires. He doesn't want us, you know, most people would think, it's like, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. You know, that's like the way the world thinks, right? Don't come to me in your crap, right? You better be all cleaned up and you, be at, you better be at your A game. That's, how the world, that's what the world tells us. But God tells us otherwise. He doesn't want us when we're cleaned up. Actually, it isn't God, who, God helps those who help themselves. The real truth is God saves those who cannot save themselves at all. At all. When I start to realize this, this is when the gospel starts to ring true to my heart. This is when it just, before it was like a fog, now it's just like crystal clear. And why I, why I need this so much. Why I need Christ so much. Because when we begin to be honest with ourselves, and realize, just, just maybe, just maybe, we're not all that. Then we begin to realize how much more we need the message of the gospel. How much more we need Jesus. How much more we need grace. How much more we need someone to cover up our shame, our blemishes. And it's in that place where we really get to see just how deep and how wide God's love for us really is. See, like David, I, I, I needed God to wash me. I mean, I'm telling you, I, like, I prayed this thing over and over and over and over again. And I would, and like David, I would say, Lord, help me. Wash me and make me clean like snow. Purge me with hyssop. You know, hyssop was, was a tree branch that they used uh, that the Jewish priests used. Uh, and what they do is they dip it, dip this tree branch into the sacrificed animal's blood because in, um, in Judaism, right, uh, to cover your sins, you need to sacrifice animals, right? So what Abraham did, so what Moses did, so they all did. So they would take this blood, dip, or they would take the hyssop branch, dip it in blood, and then they sprinkle it on a person, right, to signify your sins have been paid. It's been paid by blood. The most amazing thing. You see, for David, it's like there is still this uncertainty. Lord, will you please do this for me? Will you purge me? Will you do this? Will you give me your salvation? Right? But the most amazing thing is that for us, it's not uncertain. It is absolutely certain because there was one who washes away all our sins, all our shame, all our guilt, all our wretchedness. But instead of using animal blood, his blood was spilt for us. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. That not only will we have forgiveness, you know, because that's 
you know, I, I, I talk to my youth kids, and that's the only, like, it's just like Jesus, resurrection, death, resurrection, what is that benefit? Forgiveness. That's it. That's it. And it is all very well and true, but it's more than that. He restores to us joy, pleasure, and peace, right? The joy of his salvation. And you know what? He gives to us such a deep and secure love that we as a people can become humble, broken, and honest. Because when we begin to realize the depth of our sin, we begin to realize what Jesus did on the cross for you, personally for you, it begins to free us to be just ourselves. No longer striving to hide our blemishes, no longer hiding it with our good works. You see, because when we, be, when we come in our brokenness, that's when the gospel becomes radioactive in our life. It becomes radioactive in our life. When we understand that grace, that's when we are able to carve out a space for other people to be broken along with ourselves. So that way we can be broken with one another and vulnerable with one another. Not for the sake of some cathartic moment. I know like Koreans especially, Asians, you know, all those Korean dramas, you want to cry everything out. Okay, not, not just for the sake of that. Or to have some pop psychology counseling with each other. But so that people will come to know how merciful and how steadfast our God is. And to grow in their faith in Him. Because that's what David says, does he not, in verse 13? In verse 12, he starts, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with a willing spirit. And he says, Then, then, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Because we don't just need to hear and listen and preach the gospel. We eat the gospel, right? That's what we do for communion. But we model this gospel one another so that God may be glorified. Like I said, even when I read this song, even when I went through those sin issues in, in Thailand, I, I was the most, it was the most miserable last six months of, of the trip. I just felt so lonely, ashamed, couldn't talk to anyone about it. And yes, I did understand at that moment, I really understood my depravity and how much I need God. But I will say, and I knew, and I knew, okay, Jesus does wash, wash, wash me clean, but I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't until I came back from Thailand, right? And, you know, I thought about just taking this to my grave for the rest of my life. But then, you know, um, when I came back, our previous senior pastor called me in, and he asked, and he, he started, we started talking, and then he says, Frank, um, the youth uh, 
pastor is stepping down, and we were wondering if he wanted to be a youth pastor. I just remember thinking, are you serious, Lord? Are you serious? Do you just, do you not know? I just came back from a mission trip where I failed utterly and miserably. Like, are you setting me up again? But he asked me, pray about it. I was like, oh. Okay. Then it just made me rehash all this, these issues. And I just remember going to God and saying, Lord, I don't know if I can do this because I really don't trust that you and your gospel. I said, oh, but Lord, if, you, if this is your, what you want, I'll consider it. But I said, Lord, but I've got to confess this not only to you, but I've got to confess it to a, at least Pastor Susan. And so I called up Pastor Susan one, mo- one, one morning. It was a Saturday morning. It was at a Hobie's in Cupertino. And I just remember in detail. I just remember being... Very nervous and um, just scared to death. Because in my mind, I was just thinking, if I tell this to Pastor Susan, if he reacts, let's say he reacts this way, and he's like, oh my goodness, what the hell? You know, I was just imagining he's going to be like super disappointed and I might get excommunicated from the church. I mean, all the thoughts ran through my head. And it came to that point, you know, we're having brunch and and I tell him, Pastor Seuss, before I do, if I, before I sign up for this, before I commit to being a youth pastor, I gotta let you know one thing. And you know, I'm pretty sure I, I, I scared the crap out of Pastor Seuss. He's probably thinking, like, what the heck did you kill someone or something, right? <laughs> and then I told him, I said, Pastor Seuss, I slept with this girl in Thailand, and to be honest, I am utterly dismayed about it. You know, like I said, I started to gather myself and get ready. I was like, here comes the here comes the hurricane. Oh man, of just like uh, punishment. And I just want to like close my eyes and just be like, ah But to be honest with you, Pastor Susan showed me so much grace. I mean he told me, you know, he said, What you did was absolutely terrible and wrong and I agree and I concur. But he said, Don't you ever forget don't you ever forget that the gospel, that Jesus is bigger than your sin. It's bigger than anything. It can overcome all things. You know, when I heard that, you know, I knew that truth, but to see it from another person, another brother, to exhibit, see, he modeled grace for me, is when that shame started to dissolve. I was like, oh, now the gospel's radioactive in my life. Brothers and sisters, I, I share this with you not to gain sympathy from you, right? It's definitely not what I desire. But I share this with you in hope that, that this be the lifeblood of our EM and for our church as a whole. That Jesus will be the lifeblood of our church. This is why I do ministry. This is why I am willing to be vulnerable with you. Because it is not, again, what God desires from us is to be broken. Because that's when God is great. That's when Jesus is sufficient, when we're broken.
so that you will be blessed by my testimony. And I hope that I will be blessed by your testimony. That people will be like, man, my God is awesome. It makes me want to love him more. It makes me want to love other people more. And if you look at even this song, you see this song came out of what? His David's sin. You know, we always talk about God saves us in spite of our sin or he, he works through us in spite of our sin. But you know what? He actually works through our sin. This psalm is a testimony of that. Because this psalm is not just a personal, personal testimony for David, but actually this was supposed to be sung by the whole congregation a blessing and so I pray and I hope that we will exhibit this gospel with one another in our community groups in the relationships we build so that others others who do not know this will come to know and for those who are downtrodden will come to know oh my God is so gracious let's pray Oh, God of our salvation. I, I, I pray, Lord. I know I, am, I babble a lot, and I know it may, I may be incoherent at times, and I am not worthy to expound upon your wonderful and magnificent truth in this psalm. But I do pray that will you impress upon our hearts, Lord, that we are not to be people who come cleaned up. That we are supposed to be people, Lord, broken and utterly relied upon you. I pray that we will admit our weaknesses. I don't, I've heard it said, Lord, religion is for the weak. I would get mad at that, but now, Lord, it's, it's true. I am weak. We are all weak. May we know it. Not to be self-loathers, but to, but to see your sufficiency is enough for us. Jesus, may you pierce our hearts with this truth. May you transform our hearts so that we may be free. Free to be broken with one another. So that you may be glorified, O oh Lord. Lord, may this gospel make you, Jesus, be the life blood of our church. May it be our beating heart which makes us move. Lord. May you be with our community groups. I know we started afresh. But Lord, I pray for transparency and honesty in all the community groups so that we may exalt you and so that our friends who do not know you will come to know you. And I, Lord, I, I pray for those who are, who are self-loathers, who cannot go over, get over their sin. Lord, will you be with them? Will you let them know and show them that, Jesus, you are bigger than any sin. That you are sufficient always and forever, Lord. May we know this every day, oh Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.